Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampkin. And my guest today is a career coach and the author of the book, She Needs to Move Something to Live, Mrs. Crystal S. Hamner Tremack. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's, we go, Of course, we go way back. So it's really an honor and a pleasure to get you on the podcast. Yeah, we absolutely do. Thank you what? for having me again. Oh, definitely. Let me first let me, first, let me say congratulations on the book. Thank you so much. Now, I got to ask, what made you decide to write a book? You, you know, we have a lot of things going on. And as you know, we have a health challenge throughout the world, especially in the United States. And so I felt it was important to give some tips and guidance to the community to help them understand that it really doesn't take a complete structure. You don't have to alter every single thing that you're doing, but to make small changes and they'll make a big impact in your life. And as you continue to do that, that you'll continue to build on those opportunities. So I wanted to get the information out there to make it a little more easy to digest. Now, how long did it take you to write it? I would say maybe about six months, actually, because I put in the time to really want to get it out there to everyone, to the community, to get them going. So I didn't want to sit back on it for a long time. So many of us have started books in the past and then not done anything with them. But this one, I stayed on and actually focused and got it done to get out for the year of 2023. What, what would you say your biggest challenge was finishing the book? The biggest challenge was going through the editing process because, of course, you know, as you read through your own writing, you will fill in the blank on what you think you put there, but you'll notice that you didn't actually put it, put it there. So <laughs> just taking the time to read through it and getting others to go in and read through it and make sure that it's edited and prepared for publishing. Now, is your target audience women? My target audience is women and veterans. So what you got was a perspective from my standpoint as a woman veteran. However, the same, as you've mentioned before, the same information that I put in there can apply to many others. So males and females or women and men alike are able to use those same tips to improve their health and wellness. Yeah, I'm going to elaborate more on that because so, you know, of course, me and your husband, we all friends. So he was the one told me about the book. Yes. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, you know, that's a friend of the family. Of course, I'm gonna buy it. Now I can be completely honest. I was, I wasn't really planning to read it. I said, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna, cause, cause I, I'm gonna be. It's called because of the title. When I knew who, the, I felt like okay, the target audience was women. Okay. But then I said, well, we're gonna do a podcast, so mm, maybe I should at least skim through it just to give it a read. So. <laughs> I got, I was at work one day and I had to do, I had like a, I had to do a different, um, I had a different assignment at work that day. So I said, you know what, let me read, let me just skim through this book real quick so I could at least be somewhat prepared for when we talk. So I started reading the book and I was like, damn, it's actually, it's actually pretty good. So I, I, I just kept reading it and kept reading it. And then next thing I know, I think it was like, two maybe like two and a half hours i was done i was like damn this, this book was actually really good i i i was really surprised at how much i was able to relate to the book 
that makes me happy to hear. So I'm glad that it was capturing and that it did it was relatable to you. And the title she needs to move something to live is because I'm telling my story. So when my fitness journey started, I started as little girl and really got into organized activity in high school and on through college and through the military. So that is why I titled it. She needs to move something to live. It's something that has transcended into all of the different environments in my life when it comes to work and school and the accomplishments that, accomplishments that I've had in those different areas too include my finances so that's why I say and that's why I titled it she needs to move something to live okay I want to talk about the very beginning because the first I think the first person you mentioned was your mom yes if, not, if I'm correct your, your mom's yes. the first person you mentioned and you talked about her working out so I wanted you to talk more about the impact she had on you and your early beginnings of fitness so the funny funny enough my mom tells the story of when she was in high school and she didn't do what she was supposed to do in PE and she waited until like the last of the year and started to say, okay, I'm going to do my work. I'm going to do my makeup so that I can pass PE. And so her teacher allowed her to actually do all of the things that she didn't do all year long, where she made up all these excuses why she couldn't do it. And she saw that she could do it and she still failed the class. So <laughs> that's... <laughs> So that was funny to me that my mom actually has never really been much into sports or athletics. However, she is a person that wanted to stay fit and look good in her clothes. And so she started in a women's fitness center called Spa Lady, Spa Lady at the time, which was a local women's fitness um, gym, I will say at the time in the DC metropolitan area. And so she really loved to do water aerobics and she really loved doing aerobics. And so I got to see my mom do that. And she would take me with her to Spa Lady. And I got to see her, you know, with the 1980s clothes on, with the, uh, the, the leg warmers and the colorful leotards and things like that. And other women in there moving and being fit and active. So that's how I got started. So that's where I mentioned my mom. If your mom had never taken you to that to spa lady do you think you ever would have started a fitness journey i'm not sure that i would have started my mom introduced me to dance in the area she actually put me into tap jazz and ballet like a lot of other little kids and then i went on to do a little bit of intramurals i'm sure in middle school and I then had the influence of my PE teacher from elementary school who invited me onto the track team. So just having others encourage me to come out and participate along with seeing my mother active, I do believe played a big part in it. So I'm not sure that I would have done it on my own. Okay. You one and you also mentioned in the book, I'm glad you mentioned the track because the way you got started, it was kind of like on accident. Like you just was in the neighborhood racing the kids and also in school. But you noticed you was you was a lot. Actually, you said you you didn't notice the other people around you noticed how much faster you were. So how did that make you feel knowing like, you know what? Damn, I'm actually the best, the fastest person like in the neighborhood. So I think that that actually woke the competitive spirit in me. So I enjoyed field day like many of the kids. And so I really didn't think much about it. That was in elementary school. And it worked out that my elementary school teacher actually ended up being the high school track and field coach. So I had a friend that I went through middle school with who asked me to go out for the basketball team, went out for the basketball team and made it. And then the track coach came in and said, hey, when are you going to come up try out for track? So my intention was to just go out there and try out, but only to stay in shape for basketball and then return to basketball. 
But when I varsity lettered as a freshman, I was like, hmm. And we traveled and I saw how competitive I was. And no, there was no turning back to basketball or any other sport at that point. So before track, you didn't know that you were competitive or? I didn't, honestly. I really had no idea. I didn't think anything of it. I'm an only child. So I didn't have anybody else around me that was competing in sports. Um, so I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know much about scholarships and going on to college on athletic scholarships or anything like that. So all of that was new to me. Now we, we try, it takes up a lot of time. Like it's a very demanding sport. Did that ever make you hesitant to, to do it? I think that I was introduced to it. And so as it comes along with the territory, I didn't have time to think about how much time it took up. I got out there and saw that I was good. And I was like, well, I'm going to keep competing. And honestly, that helped me focus in school. I really did the bare minimum before track and field when it came to school. I, like some kids aren't that interested. I really wasn't that interested. My parents allowed me to navigate my own way through school. So they weren't really big and like, you have to bring home A's and B's. They let me figure out who I wanted to be. Although they did have expectations and sat down and did homework with me. They let me navigate that space. So when I got into track and field and I saw that I had to maintain a certain grade point average to, in order to compete and also attend a certain amount of classes and throughout the day in order for me to compete and still go to practice, then that's what started to make me more interested in doing the schoolwork. Did your parents notice the the development in your academics because of this track? I'm sure they did because I started to get scholarship offers to go to college. And again, that was a new area to us with me being a first generation college student. So they just kind of was like, well, you know, you'll go, you'll graduate high school and you'll go to work or do whatever. You may go to college, you may not. But it was never a push or a conversation that was like forced upon me. So when they saw that I was receiving these offers and the steps we had to go through to be eligible to go to college, then they started to see, oh yeah, it really did make a difference. And then that's when they stepped in to advocate more on my behalf whenever there were challenges that would potentially get in the way to stop me from being able to accept the scholarships and going on to college and competing at that level. Let me, so let me be clear. You were the first person in your family to go to college? Yes. Yes, in my immediate family, I'm the first person to go to college. Um, my mother did raise one of her sisters, my mother and father, but uh, she graduated high school. So they saw her through high school. And then I basically was raised by myself outside of my aunt. And then I went to high school and then went into college. Did you feel any pressure being the first one in your immediate family? I really didn't feel any pressure. I think that everyone seems really encouraging about allowing me to navigate my own space. And so they were excited for me. And just the different places that I've taken them on the journey has been really big for them. So my parents, I call pioneers. They were basically pioneers of my family. They met in Baltimore, Maryland, and then they moved over to Northern Virginia so that they can get me into school in the Fairfax County system because it's one of the top counties in the nation or has always been one of the top counties in the nation as far as education. And so they moved me over here and they wanted to give me the opportunity to have access to a lot of things that many others didn't. But even with the education level they had, they both went into business for themselves. So I saw my parents as entrepreneurs with the exposure that they had. And so I just took what I saw in them and added even, even the more. So I believe that I still was able to navigate my own way. The pressure was felt from myself because I put a lot of pressure and expectation on myself. Okay. How important was that change of environment? Because you because you said you were in, did you say Baltimore? I can't remember. 
Yes. So I lived in Baltimore for a very short period of time. I I was actually born in Virginia. My parents moved to Virginia because they wanted to raise me here. We went to Baltimore for a little while, but that's where my mom and dad met. I've actually always been predominantly living in Virginia. So that change wasn't very big for me because I've always been here. The change for me was when I went to a historically black college in North Carolina, because that was a different environment for me going from Fairfax County to North Carolina at HBCU. So, okay, so let's let's stay with what was the because it was so because it, the demographics was so many blacks. That was the big change. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I had never been outside of my family. I honestly had never been around so many people, um, so many black people in my life. Like I just never been around that. And so everyone's experience was different than what I was used to experiencing. And so there was just different language and different culture that I wasn't used to. Although, yes, there were black people in my community, Hispanics and, you know, just other nationalities. It was a different culture here. And so to go into an environment where others had been around predominantly other black people, they had an expectation that many of us thought the same and had the same experiences. And that is not exactly accurate. So what was your reason for picking an HBCU? So it wasn't far from home and I really wasn't that mature. Well, one, I will say my school was a division two powerhouse. And so the school track and field for St. Augustine's college could actually be division one competitive. However, I did not have the SAT and um, grade point average to accept the scholarship and be able to compete my first year. It was a potentially, I would have been a redshirt freshman. So that school allowed me to compete right away. It wasn't far from home and I got to do events that I like to do. So I really like to do the one, run the 100 and 200. And a lot of the other schools, when they were offering me, they were further away from home and they wanted me to run the 400 meter dash. And I don't know if you know, but the 400 meter dash is a grueling race. So I enjoyed track and field. I didn't want it to become a job. So it so that 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 extra two hundred meters make that much of a difference? Oh, it makes a lot of difference. That is a tough race. Um, you it it takes a lot out of you. So I really didn't even care for the two hundred meter dash. My understanding is I probably was a better two hundred meter runner and could have possibly even bumped up to the eight hundred meter. However, I like the one hundred meter. So that was, I did the 60 meter dash and I did the 200 meter dash just so I had another event to do. But the 400 meter dash was a rough race and indoor, I would do the 300 meter dash. So when they were offering me to run the 400 meter dash and not even make a mention of the 100, I'm like, oh, that school's out. <laughs> and many of them, <laughs> they were talking to me about it after running a 300 meter dash with everything I had at a regionals indoor race. And they're like, oh, yeah, you'll come. And I'm like, yeah, what do you miss? I'll run. They're like, oh, the 400. And I'm like, when will I run the one or two? And they're like, oh, we'll talk about it. But you'll run the 400. I'm like, yeah, I'll call you back. <laughs> so St. Augustine allowed you to run the 100, basically. Absolutely. They let me run the 100 and 200. So that was the school for me. <laughs> and it wasn't a long drive. It was about a three and, hour, three and a half hour ride from home. And then were you excited about going to an HBCU? I didn't know what HBCU, HBCU was. So the funny thing is I had never heard of a historically black college or the acronym HBCU until I was already enrolled in school. So I was excited about the opportunity to continue to compete after high school. So that's what I was excited about. And so with that, it brought about the opportunity for me to have even better grades than I had in high school because I had teammates that had really high grade point averages and I didn't want to be the anchor to pull them down 
with us being ranked in our conference with having a high grade point average. So the opportunity was a great opportunity, but until I was there, I had never heard the terminology. So people were like, oh yeah, at HBCU and I'm in school asking, what is that? <laughs> because all I remember is, you know, watching a different world and seeing the different t-shirts or hearing people mention Howard across in DC, but I didn't know it was historically by college. I just knew it was a school. What was your major? I was, a uh, my major was human performance and wellness. What is that? <laughs> so it is in the physical education department. So it aligns with how I continue to help others be more active and make better decisions. And also myself and knowing what, how big of an impact fitness and nutrition plays in our part in our everyday lives. So that is, I really wanted to continue to work with athletes when I left high school. So that was a way for me to pursue the, my desire in uh, pursuing physical therapy at the time. Okay. So, so I started a pre-med major and okay. switched. So you wanted, so you, you wanted, so want, so you chose the, that major because you wanted to continue to do, basically you wanted to move more like to the medical side of athletics. Is that a good way to say it? Yes. Yes. Okay. So how did you do with, how did you do in college? Like running, like were you, were, did you, were you, did you succeed? Were you middle of the pack? How were you? I did very well in college. Um, I didn't realize that actually a lot of my teammates were older than I was. So I really thought that more of them were closer to my age. So a lot of them actually matured sooner than I had because I was going into high school, I, going into college at 18 years old, where some of them were already in their 20s and well into their 20s. When I graduated college, I graduated at 21 years old. So some of them now, when I'm competed as a master's athlete, I see how far ahead of them, how far ahead of me they actually were. So some of them were already four or five, six years ahead of me. So there was a different level of competition there. And then also many came from the Caribbean islands where I come from Virginia and I was going to school in North Carolina. So <laughs> I did well. I did um, make it to the conference levels. I did continue to maintained my full track scholarship all four years. And I also went to the NCAAs as an alternate for our four by one relay team. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like you did well. Yeah, I think I did pretty well. So we're going to fast forward. You graduate from college, mm -hmm. but unfortunately you're not sure what you want to do next. So talk about like what that, what that time period was like, just not knowing what you were, what your next move was going to be. So I really didn't, again, I really didn't know what it took to go to the next level. I didn't have a lot of experience, like time with internships and fellowships because track and field, like you said, it takes up a lot of time. And that was how I was paying for school. So that was a pretty big priority when it came to that. I knew that whatever I wanted to do, I didn't want to struggle. I didn't want to not be able to pay my bills. I wanted to have a place to stay, a reliable, reliable transportation, and of course, be able to do some of the things that I wanted to do without having to you know, penny pinch or not sure where it's coming from and things like that. And I did see where some others around me chose to continue to compete or work other types of jobs where it didn't really give them that type of life lifestyle. So I knew that's not what I wanted. So I stayed with my parents for a little while. I worked a temporary job for a bit with a consulting group and I didn't find a lot of interest in that. So I decided that the fastest way out of my parents' house was to join the army. Well, join the military, because initially I was going to join the Marines. But they told me it would take 
six months to a year for me to go to training. And I couldn't understand why it would take me so long to go down the street about 10, 20 minutes. So I went to the army. You don't talk about it in the book, but I, I, I have to know what made you decide to go into the, I know you said it was the fastest way, but man, the military, like what made you choose that path? <laughs> so many won't believe this, but boredom. I was bored. I, after spending so much time going to track practice and traveling and competing and having done that for, I mean, the last eight years of my life at that time. And now I'm coming home and I would call my friends and they're still at practice and I would just go to work and come home. And I'm like, my parents weren't making me pay bills or asking me to pay bills or anything like that. And I'm like, I make the joke and say they're enablers. So they would have let me stay there forever. And I was like, I have to go. I'm not seeing that I was doing anything with the money that I was making. I don't, I couldn't tell you what I was spending the money on because I didn't need to pay for anything. So <laughs> I, I said, well, if I join the military, then I know that if I want to go back to school, which I knew that to pursue what I wanted to pursue as far as um, a career profession on the other end, I needed work experience and I also needed additional education. So I liked not having the debt from college. And so I said, well, the military also pay for additional education if I decide to co continue on with school. What year was this? 2000. So I graduated in 2000 and I signed to join the military in 2001. So about six months after I left school. Yeah. Okay. So 9-11 hadn't happened yet. So 9-11 happened um, a couple of days after I got to my first duty assignment. Wow. Yeah. What was that like for you? Your first, you, you just get there and then boom, 9-11 happens. So with my first assignment being Fort Drum, New York, Ooh. which was not far from where everything happened. Ugh. It was surreal. So I remember the unit like scrambling. We were down at the, we were down in our tow room where all of our equipment, I was a medic. I enlisted as a medic. So we were down where all of our medical supplies and things were. And then we got a call to return to the company and we were told what happened. And so you could see on the news what was happening. Of course, being from the D.C. area, being from Northern Virginia, I have family here. So I immediately started to get in contact with my family or attempt to get in contact with my family. But the lines were down. Okay. So I just knew that we were going to have to go to the city to help respond, to help out with whatever was going on. So I was still new in the military, so I didn't really understand how the National Guard or the reserves work, but we thought we were going to have to go to the, the city to answer some things, and that's not exactly how that went. But it was it was different. It you know, and we didn't know which way anything was going at that point, so it was a lot to think about. Yeah, and then you, you didn't actually stay enlisted; you crossed over to be an officer. How did that decision come about? So. Fort Drum, New York is very cold. And <laughs> when I was told I was going there, at first I was told I was going to Georgia and the recruiter, the drill sergeant apologized, said, oh, I'm sorry, you're going to Georgia. And I was like, cool, no problem. Then it came back about a couple of days later and said, oh, I'm sorry, you're going to Fort Drum, New York. Now I knew about Fort Drum, New York, because when my uncle was stationed, that was their last assignment. He was a master sergeant. He was actually a first sergeant in the army and he was stationed at Fort Drum, New York. And my cousins graduated from high school there. So I had been there and knew that wasn't anywhere I wanted to go. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, you should have saved the apology for sending me to Fort Drum, New York. 
So when I showed up to Fort Drum, I knew I didn't want to be there. And so that's back in the day when they used to do the newspaper articles where people could request to do stateside swaps. And so I would search the paper and try to figure out who I could possibly swap with to go to their duty location and they come to mine. So I actually advertised my position in the stateside swap announcement section of the paper. And it worked? So it did not work. But what happened was when my first sergeant and the squad leaders and my company commander came to my room, they looked around in my room. And at the time I was an E4 specialist and they said, Specialist Hamlin, I have a question. And I said, yes. They said, your room is very nice and neat, but everything is still packed up. When do you plan on unpacking? And I said, I don't plan on being here very long. <laughs> so they kind of looked at me like, okay. And so the commander said, okay, on Monday morning, come to my office and see me. And so when I went to his office on Monday morning, they put me on funeral detail. So I was actually on funeral detail for the majority of time that I was stationed at Fort Drum, where I participated in the funeral ceremony, presented the flag, and also participated in 21 gun salute and things of that nature. So that was a special time for me because we actually experienced a lot of very special funerals. And I know that sounds funny, but we actually did one for a Tuskegee Airman that was living in Buffalo. So that was actually a cool experience. And then when it was time to come off a of funeral detail, I'm like, I don't want to stay here. I still want to go. So I was continuing to look for something. So I volunteered to go into the corporate recruiting program, which was a lateral promotion for me to go from E4 specialist to corporal as a leader. And that worked after all the freezes and lifts. Uh, okay, so that so going going getting going to E four corporal allowed you to go to school to become an officer. Is that correct? so? It, what it did was take me to recruiting in Maryland, and then someone that I don't know until this day. So thank you, sir, whoever you are, told the medical recruiting side that I was a great recruiter and that I should come over to medical recruiting. And when I went over to medical recruiting, I found out that I could direct commission because I had all the qualifications for one of the programs. And so what I did was recruit myself and complete the <laughs> packet. I did. And then I gave my packet to one of my coworkers who the my position was his mission. And I had him sign off on the packet. And I said, well, we'll get station credit and I'll commission. So that's how I actually commissioned. What? Yes. That's crazy. <laughs> yes. Uh, did you have to go to any school or anything or because you already did that you didn't have to do any so right so only school that i went to was an officer basic course how long was that direct commission i went to san antonio went to the basic course and then returned to germany as an executive officer of the clinic where i left a staff sergeant <laughs> at the g1 how long was the um was the basic officer course I don't remember now. I think it, I really don't remember, but it was a very short course. We went in January. I believe we were finished in March. Wow. Yeah. So the plan, so if, had you not got that terrible assignment, there's a good chance you just would have stayed enlisted your whole career. You're right. There's a good chance. I knew that I, so when I was thinking about going to the Marines, I was thinking about going in as an officer, which is why I would have had to wait longer to go. But I knew that on the officer side, if I was going to commission that as far as your non-prior service recruiters, like the standard recruiter that you go see, the program they talk to you about is OCS. So you would have come in, you would have picked your top five choices. And I knew I didn't have five choices that I was interested in for the Army. So 
what I did was decided, well, I'll enlist first and take the bonus for enlisting because I was what was considered a high grad. And so if I decide later on I want to commission, I can commission instead of commissioning. And if I didn't like it, I really didn't have anywhere else to go. So that's why I went enlisted first so I can learn what I could at that level and then commission later. Okay. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. You mm -hmm. you went, you did your time and thank you for your service. It's truly appreciated. And thank you for yours. Thank you. So you retired, you retired as an army captain. Mm -hmm. But you said you, but you, uh, but one thing you said was, in the book, you were struggling with fitness, like continuing to be active. And then you found the mas the master's, um, what is it? The master's league, correct? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. I want you to talk more about like finding that competitive edge again, because you said, you in the book said like it was really important for you because you really enjoy competing. Yes. So competing gives me something to focus on when it comes to fitness instead of just exercising, like I'm only exercising for exercise. It's good to do that, but sometimes you get a little bored with that, depending on who you are, you can. And so that's a way to keep me working to a next level. So I'm not only doing a standard fitness to maintain, I'm doing something to improve. And so when I initially joined the army, I wanted to do the um, all army team for track and field. But because September 11th happened, track and field was one of the programs they took away when it came to all army track and um, all army sports. So my really my plan was to try out for this team and make the team, and then I would be able to do that a lot, majority of my time in the army. So when I found out about that, when I initially enlisted, I didn't know about the program, but I was told about it later. So when I retired from the army, I decided that I wanted to get back into competing. And I knew that USA track and field had master's level track and field, which starts at age 30 or 35, depending on where you are, if you're in the United States or if you're competing outside the country. And so it gave me something to focus on instead of I'm working out, I'm working out for myself. Yes. It's definitely important for your overall health and your mental well-being and it keeps you in great shape however you can get a little bored and so having a target a goal or something to work towards just like you would need in any other area in your life gave me something to focus on and so that's when I found master track and field and returned to master track and field and so when I started competing I was on track to compete at the world championships in Canada and my goal was to go after the top six for my age category but unfortunately COVID happened uh... I gotta back. I want to actually back up because you 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 went into the track, and and it, you you in the book you talk about the way you got in the track that like the signs that that you needed to get active, and it's actually a really good test. Some people I I've heard some people do it, but just you talking about it was the closet test, like <laughs> being able to go into your closet and put on clothes and they fit. Yeah. So. <laughs> It was actually an interesting concept, but I wanted to talk more about it. Yeah, so I noticed that it's really easy to put on pajamas. You go to work, you change out of clothes. And with the Army uniform, there's a drawstring in it, or there was drawstring in it at the time. And so you can gain weight and not really pay attention, or you can switch into pajamas or switch into workout clothes. And if you're not doing anything, you won't really notice that you're putting on the weight especially if you're not intentionally stepping on a scale. But then when it's time for you to get dressed to go somewhere, whether it's a special occasion or you just want to put on clothes that you already have in there, you'll notice that either things don't fit or things are fitting very, very snugly. 
So that taught me a lesson, like the light bulb came on and said, oh, you need to get dressed. You need to get dressed every day. Don't sit around in things that are stretching and not paying attention to what's happening to you. So even if you don't want to get on a scale all the time, your clothes will tell on you before anything else. And so you'll notice that the pants aren't zipping like you need them to zip or they're not buttoning for you. Um, you'll notice that you may start to see maybe some rolls, like it's not as smooth as you would like it to look or a pooch or a pouch or what have you, or a full-blown belly. So it's a way for you to gauge where you are and just feel comfortable in your clothes. So I love the opportunity, the ability to just go in my closet and pick out things that I want to wear for today. And I don't have to spend so much time trying on different things. Like how does this look? How does this work together? Because I'm trying to camouflage something or something doesn't fit. So that is always my goal to make sure that what I have in my closet, I'm able to fit. And I'm not buying bigger clothes to fit it. I'm actually getting myself in a position to fit what I already have or stay in that same range. One thing you also talked about was just you didn't you didn't realize the impact you were having on other people. Like you be, you became a motivation to others. And I wanted you to elaborate more on that because I think that's big too, just knowing that people are looking at you as an example. Yeah. So, you know, that also goes hand in hand with you asking me earlier about feeling the pressure on myself. The pressure that I put on myself is because I realize that I'm able to accomplish a lot of things and that other people are inspired by me. So I like to show up in places and spaces where there aren't many that are like me or doing what I'm doing so that others see that they can do it too. So when it came to the fitness part, when I, when social media started, and there were just pictures. I started doing one of the home workouts and I used to post pictures of myself from those home workouts. And initially I was just doing it because we really didn't know how to use social media. There was really no way to like, you just use social media. So I never really, I wasn't doing it with the intention on inspiring anyone else. I just started posting. And then when I found myself posting that kept me on track with continuous to do it because people would comment on the post and things like that. So I was like, okay, I'm going to keep going. Like I won't stop doing what I'm doing. And then when it went to the time where we switched the videos, I started posting some of the videos of me working out. When I take a break and I wouldn't post and I started getting inbox messages from people saying, hey, where are your posts? I really enjoy seeing your posts. I started doing the same workout. I started doing my own workout. I started you know, if I see you, I roll over and start doing some crunches or some kind of ab work or push-ups or squats or something because I feel motivated or inspired to do things because I see you're moving and doing things. And so I started to get the responses about how, how much individuals are losing weight, how it's changed their health. And so they're maybe coming off of certain medications that were for chronic illnesses or conditions or being able to avoid those things. So it kept me motivated because I saw that it was also impacting others. And I know that it's very important for us to have the best health that we can have to maintain our independence for as long as we can, as we continue to age. Is it is it important for you to be an example to others? It is because I know that not every space that maybe I wanted to be in, there was someone that I had proximity to that was an example to me. So I know that I would see people on TV, but just because you saw sometimes someone that looked like you doesn't mean that 
it feels as obtainable because you're like, oh, well, that person could be just a one-off. That person could be, you know, just an anomaly to what everybody else is doing. But to see someone that's closer to you that you can actually reach out and touch and know they're real and they're dealing with some of the same struggles you're dealing with or maybe even more, yeah, it's important to me. I think that's a good way to transition into the career coaching. When did you when did you take when did you start doing that? So I've been doing it for quite a while. I would basically the same way when it comes along to fitness. I was getting the inbox messages asking me questions about getting into the government and, you know, needing some assistance with obtaining jobs. And so I would help individuals with those things. And then I started to get messages or someone saying, oh yeah, Crystal can help you with that. Crystal helped me with my VA disability. Crystal helped me with getting into the federal government. Crystal helped me with losing weight or um, getting off these medications. And so I was doing a lot of that, having those conversations and working with several individuals, but allowing myself to actually put structure to it and Coming out in my business with it allows me to focus on those that are really serious about going to their next level. Those that really know that that's one, what they want to do and they're committed to it and they're going to put some skin in the game and we're going to work it together. As you know, it's like it's a like a bunch of career coaches, life coaches, like all over social media. Yeah. You personally, was that was that a deterrent or it didn't bother you at all that you that you're in such a crowded field? So no, it didn't deter me because who's attracted to you is attracted to you. And so we may not speak the same language, just like you said earlier. I really didn't think about reading your book because I thought it was for women, right? And yeah. then you read it and said, oh, it actually captured my attention. And I see that it's more than just that. And so that's the thing hearing it from someone else's voice you can have someone that's standing beside you that you know telling you the exact same thing but you don't receive it from them you re receive it from someone else as the, the um delivering the message to you so i'm going to share my story because my story and my experience is unique to me and how i go about going through the pro process of coaching you through your career your next level career is not the same as everyone else there's no two ways of going about it and we're all going into it with a different mindset different background different experiences and different knowledges so i definitely wasn't deterred by it at all what makes you I, one thing that i noticed and and i think i could even i could even feel this reading it and now even more talking with you what makes you so passionate about helping people I want to see everyone, I, I want to see others do well. So I love to see people doing well. I love to hear success stories. And so when I'm receiving feedback saying, oh, you know, one of my most recent clients didn't have a, a compensation rating from the VA and I coached her through that process. And so now she's at 80%. When I have individuals saying, oh, I can't get into the government. There's nothing I can do. You have to know someone. And then I coach them through the program. I coach them through the process on a journey and they attain federal employment and they get to move into a new career field that they've never been in before. They get to increase their annual income by significant amount, the, the most recent client by over $40,000 between compensation and employment income. Those kind of things. I love to hear those stories, those success stories. And I have a natural gift that allows me to be able to be resourceful and making the connection to be able to guide individuals through the process to get where they want to go to their next level. So that's what makes me passionate because 
it accelerates the process as opposed to you having to do it all on your own and taking years or never getting it done. I just thought about a question that, that to ask you, and it's it's related to the book. Besides me, have you got any feedback from any other men? Yes, I actually have gotten feedback from the book. And I, I've had, you know, I had someone actually stop me and say that she felt like I was her new best friend <laughs> by reading the book and that she really appreciated me allowing myself to be exposed and vulnerable where she was able to get to know me more and taking the tips from the book and applying them to her own life. So I have gotten uh, feedback about the book and it's been positive. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You you probably, you know, the connection could be a little funny. I said it from men, any men besides. Oh, from men. Um, I, I don't think anyone else has responded back to me yet besides you, but I know that sometimes individuals will, just keep it to themselves. But I see people <laughs> saying things, but I don't get a lot of um, conversation about how they thought about it. So your feedback was very important. Do you do you feel like you do you, do you feel like you should market the book more to men, or it's kind of like mm, if they come across it, it's cool. I don't feel like that. I was marketing the book to women because my the the environment the audience that I'm working with are veterans like myself and that is males and females as well as women so I don't think that I think that perhaps because there's a picture of a woman on the front and then the title is saying she needs to move to move something to live until you gave me the feedback I didn't even realize that it looked like it was only for women okay so let me be clear it's not that I feel like it's only for women mm -hmm. But, okay, and I'm going to answer this for myself because I don't like answering for, like, everybody. But the t when I read the title, I assumed it was just for women. So that could just be an error on my part. It, it's an honest assessment. I have had men purchase the book for me. I'm not sure if they read it either. <laughs> um, but I know that you it's the same thing so like i appreciate the feedback so when the second book comes out because i'm on my way on my i'm already beginning on my second book i'll be sure that my title is captured to both of the audience that i'm looking to support on their journey so is this like a follow-up to this one or it won't be a follow-up to that one but i do have a second book that'll be coming out and that'll be along the line of my career coaching you comfortable with a possible release date or no, not yet? No, not yet. Um, <laughs> it will be out before the first of the year, that I can say. Oh, so by this year, it should be out. Yes. That's, so I'm a, so you, you must already be working on it. I am. Okay. 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 I want to close with this. Um, we talked about how passionate you are, motivated. Do you feel like you're living within your purpose? I do. I do feel like I'm living within my purpose because I know that my purpose is to provide an impact on this world. And so in order for me to do that, I have to share my gifts and make sure that I am putting action behind what it is that I know. I'm not keeping it to myself. So yes, I do feel like I'm living on my purpose. I, I I really do appreciate you taking the time to do this. 
Um, again, congratulations. It's a really good book. I'm not just saying that because you're my friend. Like it is. Um, I like the fact that it's not really long, but it's very informative. It's like to the point. Like it's no, it's no wasted space per se. It's just a good, quick, informative read. I think you did an excellent job writing it. The editor did an excellent job editing it. It's a really good book, and I highly recommend reading it because it it really did. I'm I'm being completed. It really did help. It put a lot of it put some things into perspective for me. Like I really did find the book very helpful. It's a good read, and I do recommend reading it. Thank you so much. And like I said, the, you know, feedback like that is what keeps me going and shows that I'm making an impact and that I'm on purpose. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I know I can feel the genuineness that it is the genuine words coming from you and I know who you are. And so I don't feel like you're just saying that. I absolutely know you are believing what you're saying. And I thank you again for it. And I'm glad that it was helpful. Definitely. Oh, please, before we end the team, tell the people how they can follow you and also how they can get the book. Okay, so you can find me on all social media at FIT, a.k.a. 1908. That's F-I-T, a.k.a. the letters A-K-A, 1908. That's on all social media platforms, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, or Crystal She Speaks, S-H-E Speaks, S-P-E-A-K-S. And the book is available on Amazon, Crystal Hamlin Tramack, excuse me, she needs to move something to live. All right. Again, thank you for your time and I wish you all the best moving forward. Thank you so much. I appreciate you and I wish you many, many success in your continued success with your podcast. Thank you. I want to take the time to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. I truly appreciate your support. You can follow me on Instagram at conversations underscore with underscore Lent. My Facebook is also conversations with Lent. You can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Again, thank you all for listening. Have a great day.